Have you ever seen anything amazing? If you watched on July the 4th, the hot dog eating contest, you know that Joey Chestnut, for the 16th year in a row, ate like 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes, which was way off of his pace of 76 hot dogs that he did. But there are some amazing things that, uh, that can happen uh, around us today as we think about people and different talents that they may have along the way. So... Spencer just uh, played his uh, bass, and so he has this amazing talent in that, uh, that amazes me. How anybody learns that or why they do that. He did this for our students a few weeks back, but uh, let me tell you, we're going to raise the bar just a little bit now, all right? He, uh, you know, Jay Leno may have a bigger chin, but I don't think it's more talented than that. So anyway, but this is amazing to me. First off, it's amazing why someone would try this. Uh, but this is amazing. Next year, he has told me if I climb up that ladder, he thinks he can hold on. (laughs) All right. Thank you, man. Thank you, Spencer. So there are things in life that sometimes just amaze us. And we think again, I mean, that I, I don't know how even someone comes up with the idea to try that, especially with a ladder. But really, when it comes down to, to Jesus, What amazes him? You know, our talents? No. Our education giving? I don't think so. I think when it comes to Jesus, what really amazes him is when we are people of faith. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to pick up and think about amazing faith and this amazing faith that Jesus recognizes in Luke chapter 7. It says this, when he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this 
and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Let's pray together. God, thank you uh, for your word. And Lord, though we can be amazed by things in this world, you are ultimately amazed when we are people of faith. So challenge us to be those people of faith today. Lord, for those whose faith may be wavering today, those who are discouraged today, Lord, those who are in transition today, those who are just struggling today, God, would you just raise up a fresh faith in their life? In your name, amen. Jesus has just finished preaching his sermon on the plain. And as he did, he concluded with an illustration of a man who came and heard and acted on God's word. And he was like a man building a house on a foundation. And then there was another man who heard and ignored God's word. He did not act on it. And his house built without a foundation fell and everything was completely destroyed. Now, as Jesus has shared this past sermon that just concluded at the end of Luke 6, we find he moves into the city of Capernaum, which geographically would have been very close to where he was as he is around the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus set up his, quote, headquarters while he was doing his ministry, and especially his ministry in the north around the Sea of Galilee, Matthew chapter 4 tells us. As he goes in, we find that Luke not only links this geographically to Jesus just having finished this sermon, but he also links this textually because in this passage, we find a man who hears and believes the words of Jesus. And because he acts on them, we find that Jesus recognizes and says that his faith is quite amazing. But as we look at this man, we notice two real important things for us that we're going to talk about today. That he came to Jesus in the right way, and he trusted Jesus with the right kind of response. Now, that's what we do. When we come to the Lord, we come, and we're to come in the right way, and with the right heart. And we trust him to move and to to show his will in the right way. It may not always be what we want, but we know his will is always best. So as we think about this man, he came to Jesus in the right way and he trusted Jesus with the right response. Let's think about specifically those two thoughts. That as we think about Jesus, we need to come to Jesus with the right attitude. We need to come to Jesus with the right kind of attitude. Now, the Bible tells us that this man is a centurion, and he has a sick servant. Now, the centurion would have been a Roman soldier who had under his charge a hundred different soldiers. So, Some have said that he had to be in the military at least 15 years to gather this rank of where he would have a 100 men under him. 
Some said that his salary would be much higher than a base soldier, that he would have probably been very wealthy. He had commanded attention and authority. He was a man who could get things done. He was a man who was used to this rigorous life. He was a man who was disciplined in his life. And yet, when he comes to Jesus, he comes with dependence. If you're going to come to Jesus with the right attitude, then you're going to have to come to Jesus with dependence. This guy had money, he had power, he had authority, and yet before Jesus, he came dependently. His servant was sick, and so he sends for Jesus. It's like, Jesus, I'm coming to you because you're the only one who can take care of this. Lord, I'm depending on you. It's interesting. He has heard about Jesus. What did he hear? We do not know. We, we don't know what he's heard. In John chapter 4, there's a nobleman who has a son who's sick. And, and you know, there's uh, in, in the city of Capernaum whose son is healed. There, there are times when Jesus has traveled around this area of the Sea of Galilee. We don't know how he heard, but he heard and he was then living a dependent life upon Jesus at this point. And that's exactly what he wants. Isn't it interesting as we think about the pictures of our relationship with the Lord, what they're to be like? He's the father, we're the child. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's the gardener, his son Jesus is the the vine, and we are the branches. We are dependent. We are dependent And so when we get to this point in our life where we think, man, I can do this on my own. I can think this through on my own. I can handle this on my own. And I merely lean on the flesh. And we come to Jesus thinking, man, I can handle this, Lord. But I'm going to call to you anyway because you tell me to pray about it. He said, no, that's not the attitude he wants. He wants us to come with dependence. Last night, you know, uh, baby was over. And I look at that baby, just absolutely dependent. And I thought about my life as a small child. So Catherine is 11 weeks old, but I thought about my life through my preschool and my elementary years. I was a dependent. I didn't worry about food on the table or whether something was in the refrigerator. I didn't worry about the electric bill. I didn't worry about vehicles. I didn't worry about, I was just a dependent. I just trusted my parents to take care of all of those matters in my life. And that's the picture. The Lord wants us to live with the sense that, look, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you with all the areas and all the issues and all the challenges of my life. Lord, I come in dependence upon you. But not only did he come in dependence, but he came in humility. He came in dependence and he came in humility. When his servants go off and they seek Jesus, they they go and they say, Jesus, hey, you really need to come help this centurion. He has been a really good guy to us. He loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. This is a good guy. He loves the chosen people. He loves he loves the, the, the people of God. He loves us. And he's even built us a place to worship. He's built us a synagogue. And yet, when Jesus says, okay, I'll come with you, the man sends word and says, I am not worthy. 
I'm not worthy for Jesus to come. That's why I didn't go in the first place. I'm not worthy for Jesus to come into my house. I'm unworthy. The the picture is, is I'm unimportant. I'm not fit. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not in the position where Jesus, the Holy One of God, should step into the house, listen, of a Gentile. I'm not worthy. So he comes to this part in his life where he humbles himself before the Lord. And this is exactly what the Lord tells us. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matter of fact, it's in James chapter 4, around verse number 7, and 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse number 5. The same part of that verse is quoted. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then Peter would go on to say in 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. It comes through humility that we have answers. God resists the proud. If this centurion comes to Jesus and says, Hey, man, I really am a good guy. I mean, look at me. I have authority. I have power. And at the same time, I am benevolent and kind to the people of Israel. He didn't come in that kind of fashion. He came with a sense of humility that said, Lord, I am not worthy. May I say on our own, we are not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy to step into the presence of the holy God. We're not worthy to gain access to the throne of heaven in our own strength and in our own might or with our own money, in our own dependence on who we are. But the Lord, the Lord Jesus, who has made us his children, has made us his sheep, has attached us as a branch. He's the one that makes us worthy to step before the Lord. And then we see not only did he come in dependence and humility, but he came in faith. He came in faith. Notice, see, he says, Lord, I am, I am unworthy. And then he says this, just say the word. Just say the word. I mean, just say the word. He says, look, I know what it is to be a man that has authority. I, I tell this soldier over here of my hundred that I lead, you go over there, you do that. You take care of this. I want you to run, do that. I want you to fight here. I want you to go there. I am a man who has authority, and by my authority, I can tell people what to do. But you are the one with ultimate authority. And in your authority, you can do whatever you would like to do. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. Are you at that place in your life where you would just say to the Lord, just say the word. Lord, whatever your will. Lord, it, it may, it, 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 I may not understand it. Lord, I, I, I may not be able to explain it. Lord, just say the word. Do what you want to do. Just say the word. Just say the word and this servant will be healed. He came in the right way. As we think about his faith, 
There's a challenge for all of us in that. The Bible tells us that we are saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are to walk in faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. We're to pray in faith, James tells us, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. We're to be people of faith. But I want to draw your attention to the book of Hebrews just for a minute. The end of Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, I think that this is a a, a great passage for us. We know Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter, but let's look at those verses just leading up to where he's going to open up in, in chapter 11 in the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse number 32 it tells us, uh, remember the earlier days when you had been in, when you had enlightenment, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So these believers are going through a hard time. They're facing persecution. They are struggling. They're facing challenges. And to be honest, they're about ready to throw in the towel. They're about ready to give up. I have followed Jesus and it has caused hardship in my life. And then notice what he says down in verse number 36. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the coming one, uh, the coming one will come and not delay. But notice what he says in verse number 38. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Listen. You know what he says? My righteous one will live by faith. Faith is not just to be something that we put on at church or we put on as we read our Bible or as we put on as we begin to pray. Faith is to be a lifestyle. The righteous one will live by faith. This is to be part of our life. I don't check in and check out of faith, but the righteous one will live by faith. And so we are called to live in a state of dependence upon the Lord and trust that he is going to see us through. The coming one is going to come, but until he comes, walk by faith. Live in faith. Life's hard? It is. Live in faith. Facing challenges? Didn't think you'd expect this in life? Didn't have to, didn't want to go through this in life? The challenge is the righteous will live by faith. Now, if we're not living by faith, what does that say about our righteousness? That's a good question to segue into our second thought. If we're not living by faith, then are we truly righteous? We come to Jesus with the right attitude. But secondly, then we trust Jesus with the right response. We trust Jesus with the right response. We have to trust Jesus. He says, Lord, here's my issue. My servant is sick. And Lord... Just say the word. Just say the word. And he leaves it at that. He has come and 
independence and humility and faith. And he has left his request with the Lord. So what does Jesus do? Notice with me in verse number nine. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Whenever we come to Jesus, we have the opportunity to learn and listen and grow. And after this guy says, look, Jesus, I'm just leaving this to you. Now Jesus is going to speak. So I have to trust that he's going to have the right response. So I listen first to Jesus' words. And as Jesus begins to speak, he recognizes genuine faith. Notice what he says. He he, he says, first, it tells us that he's amazed. And he says, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Did you know that there's only two times in Scripture when Jesus commends someone with great faith? Only two times. Very interesting. Here in Luke chapter 7, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, and in Matthew 15, 28, a Syrophoenician, a Canaanite woman who has a sick child and says, Lord, come heal. And he says, look, it's not good for me to, you know, to give my bread to the dogs. And she says, Lord, I mean, don't we even get some crumbs? And he commends her for faith. Interesting. Both Gentiles. Both Gentiles. A man and a woman. It's interesting that Jesus would be in the city of Capernaum, headquarters for him. Did you realize that Jesus did 11 of his 33 miracles in Capernaum? Or right there in that close proximity vicinity? 11 of his 33 miracles. Jesus had this as his headquarters. No doubt Jesus taught and preached throughout this area. And yet, he commends the faith of a Syrophoenician woman, and he commends the faith, he recognizes the faith of this centurion. I think that means that faith can come in anyone's life. That you can be a man or a woman of faith. You, you may not feel like you're really on, on the radar of the who's who in the world, and yet the Lord recognizes genuine faith. So we're in the process and have begun the student pastor search process. Could you imagine, you know, you write off and you... Uh, have a questionnaire, and then you get references from people, and people could say, man, this is a really good guy. He's done some really great things. But could you imagine if you received a direct message from the Lord that says, this guy has amazing faith? What a reference that would be. And that's what's on this guy's resume. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, he's done some nice things, and he loves the people of Israel. He's built a synagogue. But let me tell you what he's really noted for. He's noted because Jesus commended his faith. Jesus recognizes genuine faith. But Jesus also, in this comment, rebukes the absence of faith. Remember where Jesus is. Jesus 
is in Capernaum. In John chapter 1, it would tell us in verse number 11 that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But he came to his own. He, a Jewish man, the son of God, part of God's chosen people. He comes and yet he speaks up and he says, I've not found such a great a faith even in Israel. Notice something very uh, skillful in, in this sentence. He says, I have not found. Could it be that as we sit in church this morning and our mind wanders in and wanders out and we think about the afternoon and we think about what's going to go on today and we think about our life and we think about our problems and we think about everything going on. Could it be this morning that Jesus is scanning the congregation this morning and he's looking to find faith? Wouldn't it be interesting this morning that if, if we could peel back the, the layers of heaven and Jesus there is pictured in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father looking for people of faith. He says, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. That means he's not found it, but apparently he's looking for it. And if Jesus is looking for faith, will he find it at 2701 Moogie Road this morning? Will he find it in the worship attendance at First Baptist Church of St. Charles today? I'm looking. Am I finding men and women of faith who trust me with their life, who trust me with, with every aspect, their challenges, who trust me with their blessings, who challenge, challenge and trust me with their, their worship and their serving and their giving and their going, who just say, Lord, my life's a blank check and it's all yours. What Jesus is doing here, he's not only recognizing the faith of the centurion, but he's saying, I've not found this kind of faith in the people who are supposed to be the people of faith. That's what he's saying. And I wonder, we're supposed to be the people of faith. Jesus, are you finding faith? Are you finding faith among the people of faith? Are you finding faith not just here in this room, but are you finding faith as we go and as we're at work or at school or hanging out on vacation, as we're hanging with our family, as we're uh, seeking to, to do ministry, as we're looking at our life being on mission? Am I being a man or woman of faith? He rebukes the absence of faith. And here's the truth of it. You can fool me. I mean, you, you can fool each other. You can fool your Sunday school teacher. You can fool the person who sits next to you. You can fool your kids. You can fool your grandkids. You can fool people. But you can't fool him. Because there were people in Jesus' day marching around like they were people of faith. There were people going to synagogue every week. And Jesus says, This one old Gentile boy who doesn't go to synagogue, he's got more faith than the rest of that crowd that's been going to church. 
Jesus recognizes the absence of faith. So we listen to Jesus' words. I have not seen so great a faith even in Israel. So we listen to Jesus' words. Then we ultimately trust his response. And we trust his power. Now, as we think about that, notice what he says. I've not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. They just went home. (laughs) He sent the servants. Centurion says, hey, don't come. Man, I'm not worthy. But just say the word. They run back and they say, Jesus, he said he's not worthy. But just say the word. And they scoot on back home. And the child is well. That, my friends, is leaving our request at the feet of Jesus and going on. No worry. No anxiety. No fear. Just faith. Trust Jesus' power. But I want to drive this home with three thoughts. We trust Jesus' power to break human barriers. To break human barriers. You say, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is, this guy is a Gentile. Now, the Jews did at least say, this guy is kind. But he is not in the realm of God's chosen people. And there were many Jews of that day who would not have anything to do with a Gentile. They would think of the Gentiles as dogs. They would thank the Lord in their prayers that they were not a Gentile or a woman. And they did. And yet, Jesus went out beyond and touched a Gentile man. He breaks human barriers. There are people that may not look like us and may not act like us and may not speak like us and may not look like us. But one day, Revelation chapter 7 tells us that there's going to be this throng of this multitude from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus goes beyond human barriers. There's no one that Jesus couldn't touch, that Jesus couldn't save, that Jesus couldn't change. And so we find in Luke 24, as we get to the Great Commission in Luke chapter 24, around verse 45 and following, where he tells them to go to the nations. Go to the nations. Jesus, his power breaks human barriers. Secondly, we find as we think about that, Jesus' power reaches over distance. He just said, just say the word, and he never came to Jesus, and Jesus never came to him. There were other times when Jesus would put his hand on someone. He would touch Peter's mother-in-law. He would maybe rub, uh, touch someone's eyes. He would reach out and touch a, a, a lame man's hand. But Jesus 
healed from a distance. Jesus reaches over distance. As we cry out to the Lord today, we, we recognize he is in heaven. The sun is 93 million miles away from us. We're not exactly sure where heaven is in proximity of, of that. But I will tell you, 93 billion miles is not too far for his reach. Jesus reaches over distance. And then thirdly, Jesus changes everything. I mean, Jesus just changed everything. This Gentile centurion who has a sick servant. The servant is now well. And the centurion who put his faith in Jesus has found that Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. I can place my faith in him. Has Jesus brought you through some things in your life? Then I will tell you, you can trust him with your tomorrow. Has, has Jesus carried you through some storms of life, some calamities of life, some difficulties of life? Has he provided when it looked hopeless? Has he come through and touched you when you felt helpless and discouraged? What we find is Jesus can reach out and still touch today. And even so, touch us today, Lord Jesus. We look at the centurion and we say, this guy is really a good example of how we are to live today. This guy had a lofty view of Jesus, a lofty view that said, Jesus, I trust you. You're all powerful. And when he said, Lord, just say the word, I mean, he he really was saying, I don't recognize you just as sir or just as master, but you are divine Lord. Just say the word and you can do a miracle miles away. He had a lofty view of Jesus. He had a lowly view of self. I'm not worthy. And he had a loving view toward that servant who was sick. What a challenge for us to live today. To walk in this world in which we live and to exalt the Lord in everything that we say and everything that we do and however we act to believers and unbelievers. We act recognizing the Lord is exalted and I am called to be a man or woman of faith. And then to have a humble view of self. I don't know all the answers. I'm not always right. I'm not perfect but to have a heart of love for others. That's where we need to be. Jesus is exalted. We are humbled. And everyone around us is loved. That, my friends, can be part of a pretty amazing life. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and the challenge that we've received in it today. Lord, help us to be like that centurion. To rely and lean on you in everything that we say and do. To treat others and show love and kindness. And to be humble. Lord, you're good. You're God. And we're not. We humble ourselves before you today. And we thank and praise you, Lord. That whenever we cry out, You hear us. And your word tells us that when we call to you, you'll answer us. 
and show us great and mighty things. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.